Welcome to Business Aspirin, pain relief for business. Clint Junell has managed a restoration company in Dallas since 2008 and is one of the top drying experts in his region. Clint is also the co-founder of JobDocs, a software developed to help his team manage their overwhelming volume of projects. On the podcast, Clint brings together business managers and leaders to share with you how they have overcome their business pains and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Clint Junell. Hey, everybody. This is Clint, uh, your host of Business Aspirin. And today I have with me David Vibora. Uh David is the founder and CEO currently of Adaptive Training Foundation here in the DFW market. Yeah. And super excited to have you here, David, and talk about ATF, what you do, what Adaptive Training Foundation is, yeah. what it's about, why, yeah, all the things, man. Lots of good. This Guys, and I'm excited about this one. Um, you'll get a lot of nuggets of information just from listening to David talk and his passion about what he's involved in and yeah. it's excited. Well, I'm trying not to get a real job. So I don't know how much, how much help I am on business aspirin here, but my other life, my previous life was playing in the NFL. So it was a linebacker was drafted uh, the last pick earning me the honorable title of Mr. Irrelevant in 2008, went on to become a starter, had a you know respectable, small five-year career, but Really, it was establishing what was next, which I didn't realize at the time. You know, I used the the gym was my sanctuary. So, you know, to maximize my potential through hard work, through sweat equity and and just see what was possible was always where I kind of found myself. But it wasn't that I set out post football to start a nonprofit. A lot of you know players do right or do while they're in. They're passionate about something and they give back and their names associated to it. But that's not me. I mean, if I'm if my name's attached to something, it's because I'm completely immersed in it. And sure. so the the real why or the how that I built this whole business was a was a chance intersection with a guy without arms and legs, Staff Sergeant Travis Mills. So I started the gym because I knew I could train athletes and offer them value, but I didn't really know how to monetize it responsibly. It was all dependent on David. So it was service-based. You know, I was giving them training sessions, paying for the hours of training. There was no mail money. There was no real, what's the business without David? It was nearsighted just because I liked what I was doing. And I was spending so much time in the gym. But meeting Travis, you know, I, I went, I just trusted my gut. It was like this little thing that the voice in your head says, you're not qualified. You're not ready. You need to learn more. But the gut says, jump right now. And I walked right up to Travis, who was moving on prosthetics. Yeah, so tell the the story about Travis, right? Like, so they know. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. What I'm hearing right now is you met some guy named Travis, right? But they don't know the whole backstory. Just because I know the whole backstory about Travis, we need to tell them. what's So there's five living quadruple amputees that were combat injured. So Travis essentially stepped on a bomb, an explosive device in Afghanistan, and kaboom immediately on impact, lost all four limbs. They tourniquet, you know, got him some life-saving medical attention, uh, went through some crazy medical interventions, but eventually was a living, breathing human without arms and legs. And I was at a surprise birthday party for a Navy SEAL friend when he walked in and it was just like, it was just clear to me that everything in me was moving toward him, even though I had no idea what the hell I was going to say or do. And I walked up to him and what came out of my mouth was, dude, when was the last time you worked out? And he said, you know, I don't want to make you feel like an a-hole, bro. Like, look at me, work out. And it was like, hey, look, I know your physicality is different today, but that's still a part of us. We have to tap into that, I think, personally, to figure out, like, how we redefine our lives through different seasons of life. And, and he said, look, do you have experience? And I very sheepishly said, 
nah, man, but I'll train you like an athlete. And I think that's the thing. There was this commonality between, especially, you know, veterans and football players, like they kind of wanted to do what I did. And I kind of wanted to go hook and jab with bad guys. So there was a bit of respect. And through that, he came and, and I watched two things happen. One, his fear of embarrassment of falling and not, you know, us not knowing what to do. You know, we use that as a mechanism of training. So it desensitized it, got more confident. Sure. But then also it was everybody in the gym. Suddenly their pinky toe wasn't sore. You know, they all went, oh, crap. Oh, this guy's putting out and doing these hundred pound sled pulls on short prosthetics and getting after it. Like, I don't have an excuse. So I realized, well, okay, there's a void post rehab. You know, cash runs out, insurance runs out. Like, where do people go once they've de been deemed cleared medically? And also, there's a need for all of us to, with perspective, realize that, like, man, it's not about what we can't do. It's about focusing on what we can do and doing it with purpose. So in this short period of time, I had two veterans, then 10, then 20, then civilians, people with traumatic injuries from car accidents, Neuro neurological disease, Parkinson's, MS, you know, ALS, all kinds of stuff. And I realized, man, there's, you do some research, there's a huge population of people that are largely ostracized kind of by yeah. the medical community. Sure. So we the created side stops, right? And they're like, yes, we can't do anything more for you. You're going to be in a wheelchair the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's a scary place to be when yeah. you're like kind of just marginalized, told like, take your pills, take your disability and just like, exist but don't really contribute and i'm like what like these are people i mean frankly you know this work's been going on for 10 years now but it, right around covid it was like a great person to look to as any of our athletes right like they had the rug pulled out from under them their whole life turned upside down maybe they lost legs maybe they are in a wheelchair now but you know when everything seems to be rocking like there's something to learn from people who've been dealt a scar and then proof that they can overcome them not by regrowing legs or you know again running in prosthetics but going beyond what the thing is that tried to keep them from growing to their maximum potential and i think that the gift that a lot of these athletes is the hand that they've been dealt it's not yeah. the gift they wanted it's not the no. gift they asked for yeah i had that same conversation regarding Michaela on a plane yesterday it's and, and she's aware of this. Like Jen and Michaela both yeah. talk about and, and who we're talking about now is a cheerleader who had an accident is now quadriplegic in a wheelchair, one of our athletes. But what a shitty experience to go through mm -hmm. and a beautiful thing at the same time. What it has brought, the experiences, the opportunities, the meeting you, the connections, yeah. the things that have opened as a result of what takes place in the lives of these athletes is unbelievable. And I think that's something, but, but like you and I live for the perspective where we go, look today, we're speaking to someone that's down in the pit and you're like, look today, it doesn't make sense. Stop trying to figure out why or what for, and just do what you can with where you are and what you have. And even if that's just a conscious deep breath and remind you that you're alive, like everything's temporary and the nature that things can both you know, improve and also could potentially get worse is why we need each other. It's why we need each other. It's for me to understand. I mean, Clint, when you went through your recovery post COVID, right. After being in the hospital for months and about, I mean, you don't know when, but life is going to slap you around. It, it will provide the curriculum, but if you suit up and show up pretty soon, you can start to see that there's a pattern. And each time that you come up to the next, it's like a video game. You beat the last boss there's a little nugget in there that's going to help you for the next boss, but you don't realize it until you're fist and cuff with yeah, that next one. And then you're like, Oh, wait a second. 
this is all for me and it is all part of the process. I just have to not resist what it is and step into it as if I'm built for it. Yeah. If people like acted as if they were qualified for the moment, holy crap, think about what's possible. Because yeah. a lot of it's just the fear that keep people from acting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like just in like we've been going at it for maybe four minutes now, maybe mm-hmm. five minutes. And there's tons of information in what you said. Uh, and I want to kind of circle back to part of that. One of them is Travis said, are you qualified to do this? <laughs> so no, you weren't. Right. So the things that I picked up on that I want to kind of talk about one, are you qualified to do this mm-hmm. Two, something caused you to act? There was something that made you go, I'm going to move this direction. Yeah. And let's talk about those two things first. Then we'll jump into some of the others, but to your own admission, you weren't qualified to do what you were about to do. I didn't even know an amputee, much less a quadruple amputee. Yeah. So right out of the box, of course, this fits you perfectly yeah. knowing you right out of the box. We're going to start with somebody who's missing all four limbs um, who like legitimately is a physical specimen. Yeah. Travis is a big dude. Yeah. yeah. And so to, to go in that market and guys, I hope you watch this podcast and start checking out Adapt Training Foundation. Cause this is what I do the business side. So I can help people like David do what they're doing, but you're going to get to see that passion that is David and what he does. So this makes a ton of sense to me, mm-hmm. right? Is that you just engaged him and hear Clint Bruce tell the stories funny and unique too. Yeah. You're not qualified. Mm-mm. So what does that say to someone who is trying to get out of like, people don't just start business because they want to start a business most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. There's something they're trying to get out of something. They're trying to get away from something that has happened in a previous life yep. that says, I need to do this. Yep. If you're not qualified, then what? I think it's about being bold, but thinking about being disruptive, right? Disruption is great in most marketplaces, right? Volatility can create great market entry or blue ocean thinking for new iterations of products or services. But I like the idea of people connecting through each other's humanity. This is why I always say that the quickest way between two people is a story, right? So maybe the disruption is that you go into that you know, sales call, sales meeting, sales opportunity, you know, fill in the blank of whatever uh, sector of business that you're in. And, and you dare to be more disruptive than you normally would. A little bit more confident. Again, I wasn't saying, you know, uh, I wasn't lying uh, about something to try to feel more qualified or being arrogant about anything. It was just looking someone in their eyes and telling them that we were going to figure it out. And when I believed it, he believed me too. So there's a little bit of this like confidence that bet on yourself, be bold and be willing to disrupt what this person that you're communicating with is used to, right? If they're used to the classic pitch deck, don't use it, decide a different way. You know, I I think that it boils down to this and this is really my, my take on leadership. It's look, if you ask people to have this behavior for this result, you have to do it over and over and over again. If you can rise above that, create an experience that changes a belief that will shape the behavior and then change the result. You do that one time, then all of a sudden that person's a leader in their own right, right? So in business, you're not necessarily trying to get a million followers day one. You're trying to get the 10 that lead to the 100 that lead to the 1,000. But say that again, because that applies to your staff. Yeah, that's right? a brilliant point. Yeah, it's a so really key point. If you just do those things that way, then your staff then becomes a leader in their own right as they go. And they should disrupt in their own way. Yeah. Right. Like if if David's voice or vernacular is, as you hear right now, if somebody else tries to be that, it'll be ineffective and inauthentic. So that person on the receiving end, they're going to smell the BS from a mile away. So it's like your version of 
you know, I hear stories about Steve Jobs or people that, that had this resonant magnetic force, almost like Star Trek, where like they could read your thoughts and they knew how to position you when it became your yes. And, you, and you're like, what just happened to me? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I just yeah. got totally lost in this very like hypnotic conversation. Well, that person, they may or may not have been selling you something, but what they were doing was making you believe that um, what they had to offer you provided value. And that's beautiful. Value, right? Provide value. If it's so, if it so involves a credit card or otherwise, then fine. That's the last thing that you actually, uh, you know, orchestrate or the last step that you step forward to. I think most of it is making it undeniable why you you are going to create an experience that's going to be differentiated in the market of what they're used to. Sure. And so, in that vein, right? Like you've got to immerse yourself in the culture. So, as a business person you want your staff to buy into what you're doing because if they don't buy in, they're not going to be able to regurgitate the information in an effective manner. Yes. They might be able to repeat the words that you said, yeah, 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 yeah. but that not be able to regurgitate that back in an effective manner to communicate yes. the message to someone else. I, I was going to say this, there's a book. I read this book. It's by an amazing British author. I won't remember the name, but the book is called alchemy. The, the cover is like bright yellow. Um, the reason I bring it up is back in the earliest of YouTube days, this guy that was selling blenders decided to throw a bunch of marbles into his blender, record it, put it on YouTube. And initially it was like, look at this quack who's throwing blast, you know, balls into his blender, but like, holy crap, it's blended them up beautifully. Then the virality of look at this quack, look at this quack people that, that share ability. So I think that, and how this weaves back to my staff is, you know, we all come with a story. You know, what brought you to the line of work or the business that you've launched? That's true north. The culture needs to be framed around that. So, again, you're saying, hey, me and my company, we stand for this and the flag is out. But under that umbrella is where people show up with their why underneath. That's why we call this group a tribe. Right. Like a team is a roster. A business has an organizational chart, roles and responsibilities and so on and so forth. But a tribe is different. When you create a culture of a tribe, it recognizes that everybody's perceivable gifts and scars are proof to qualify them for the net net of the whole sum of this, this mission. So again, being able to lead with emotional intelligence, being able to share like the path that led me to this job here is why I know I'm exactly where I should be talking to you right now. You lead a conversation with somebody like that. They're like, okay, I'll listen for at least 30 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you right. got me. So you're right. It's, it's bringing my own story and my own why into the larger picture, realizing that, you know, the effort that I get to do to make a paycheck, hopefully it's honoring the ways that have led me to the opportunity itself. Right. When you connect those dots. And I tell you, like, there's some things about how you're wired that like you're, you're very captivating, your polarizing personality. But you're also part of what you said earlier. You're humbly confident. Mm -hmm. Like you're willing to go. There are things I don't know. I need help with some things. I'm willing to ask questions. Yeah. And I think that's important too in regard to running an organization, running a business, to be able to go, yeah. hey, look, right? So you, when you talk about from your perspective, like your management style originally is pro football. Yeah. Yeah. And in that case, it's, you do your job or you don't do your job. <laughs> yeah, or you don't have a job. Yeah. You do your job or you get benched. Right. And if you get benched for too long, then you're out. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so you have that, that mentality that you bring into this environment, but you're also, I think you do that relatively well. 
And you and I both know there are times that it's, you know, a little intense maybe and <laughs> um, and even frustrating for you in regard to how some of that happens. But the reality is you do that well because you have the ability to people understand you. They know that you love them. They know that you yeah. care about them. And so you have that ability to kind of bark at them occasionally and bring that style in. So let's talk about that for a minute in terms of like pain points that you have had yeah. um, in starting Adaptive Training Foundation. Yeah. And not just even starting, but along the way, operating it. And, yeah. and we can talk about COVID and what it means to a 501c3 yeah. when the world shuts down. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about some of the pain points, right? Yeah. If, if you were to think about them, yep. what are what are early pain points you experienced? Yep. And then we'll move on into some other yep. pain point sides of that. Early on, two things. First, it was startup mode, right? Shoot, 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 aim. You know, like it was like, you know, my biggest fear was missed opportunity. And so it was like firing at all things at all times and trying to just grab onto momentum and latch into certain things. So the the spray and pray can be a definite thing to avoid that. That's huge in terms of small business, small businesses right now. No scope creep on it. And what they what they try to do, too, is especially in the restoration space, the service industry space, which is going to be a lot of who listens to this is every job's a good job. I got to have every job. I can't miss an opportunity. I've got to make sure that I take that job, but not every job is a good job. Just like what we've experienced here is not every athlete is necessarily the right fit for what I'd actually encourage people to do this. So just like investment banking today, there's formulas that have been around for eons, right? The guys use, but now with all this AI generated craziness is what I'm going to call it. Cause it sure, is crazy, but it's crazy not to use too. Yeah. It's like, Hey, how do I position this to cross-reference what I think I know and then decide if I can get a little bit of an advantage. And I think that, that that's true for any industry, but I think it's especially true for you on a personal sense. What I mean is, as you decide what a good job is and define what a good job is, you have to stick to it. So you can't let this allure of the what ifs, because we can rationalize anything and be like, oh no, I got to go to that one today. But if you can come up with the, uh, you know, the litmus, if it passes the litmus test for moving on it or taking action on it or not, and you stick true to that. I mean, Matthew McConaughey in Greenlights has a awesome time in his book where he was only the rom-com guy and he had some crazy, crazy good offers of cash. that just kept doubling and doubling and doubling, but he stuck to it until he could finally get out of what he was known as to then rebrand, right. Redefine and, and then bring on this, this whole new version of him. So same is true in business. Be mindful to not just shoot at everything that moves decide and define what a good job is and stick to it. Make sure you have people around you. The other thing that happened early on is myself back to that very alpha, very kind of NFL experience type of leadership. It was, if I was stressed, I had to make my entire staff adopt my same level of stress, sir. Because if I'm stressed, we're all going to be productive. This stress is going to be useful. We're going to, Oh, that's so wrong. That is so wrong. And the same thing for your spouse. Anyone that's listening to this, do not, do not think that that works. That's even hairier as you well know, um, or I've learned from you. Yeah. Those are two things in the earliest of days that I think uh, I could have avoided a lot of that scar, but I also, I needed to learn, you know, and you've been a tremendous counsel for me and, and keeping, not just keeping space in your day to like let the things that happen that you know are going to be overscheduled or over things happen, but being okay with not having to tend to all the fires. Those early days, you're so 
Cause it's your baby. Yeah. And my name's known for this. Yeah. And, and of course it's personal. What are people to think if well, it doesn't do you finding your staff is a huge thing, but don't believe that they're going to care as much as you. No. At the end of the day, like you are the founder, you are the CEO, you are the entrepreneur. So suck it up, buttercup. Like they're going to do the best as long as they believe in you and believe in the culture that you set back to that tribe mentality. But at some level, like you can't expect them to care. No, beyond but, but yeah. Because for in most cases, it's still a job, especially for these people listening. Yeah. Very few of them. In your case, the part of your staff has bought into the belief of what's happening and what they're doing, what they're accomplishing and changing lives. But for a restoration guy, even though they're changing someone's life post-catastrophe, it's their staff for the most part is going to just be staff. Yeah. And it's difficult to navigate that when you're going, okay, I've got to. But I do think one thing that you guys do well, and that I think those that do it on a scale, meaning that it's, you know, look, there's the top, top national people that are huge, huge. There's your kind of upper echelon. There's your middle of the road. Then there's some of your little guys. I think as much as possible for your workers to connect back to the end user and what, I mean, we had a termite thing last week and you had your guys out here, but like, that's amazing. And when those guys come here and see what we do, right? So back sure. to the point is if your um, employees can't reckon with or aren't frequently reminded that they're making an incredible effect in someone's life at a very critical time, then they should, probably should get in another line of work. You know, like at some level, you you know, if the house burns down or something happens, there's remediation work being done. Like that's someone's household. And fundamentally, like a roof over their home and that level of safety is critical to the well-being. So personalizing it in that sense. One thing that came to mind to to add on to early business things uh, or maybe just today business reminders we often will discover issues or things in our business and we'll put all of our focus on attention because we believe if we solve this problem that everything else 10x is 100x's. And although that is a common way of thinking, right? Like, hey, I got to fix the mower before I go and, and edge the whole yard or else this thing isn't going to be able to get it done. I think that too much time and focus is spent on the actual kind of orbiting these issues rather than going, Hey, that is an issue today, but I'm actually, I'm going to step aside and focus on what's working and see if through that attention and focus on the things that are working, if a better pathway to solve this, that is more time efficient, is more cost effective, and is maybe not, you know, if you're truly in a bottleneck, maybe you have to focus. Sure. But if not, you'd be amazed how many things kind of work themselves out. Sure. And and you mentioned it earlier, and I will attest that we did the same thing on the job doc side is... You wanted to have so many things right before you actually did it. Before you actually went to somebody and said, I need some money, I need some help. I've got to have this in place. I gotta have this in place. I gotta have this in place. True. And we did the same thing, right? And we were, we could have been earlier to market on the software uh, with the whole job docs thing if we if we had just put it to market. Yeah. But so encouragement for anybody that's listening is trust what you have. If you've got, if you moved in the direction of starting a business, trust that a little bit yep. and don't just wait to have it all perfect. Cause you're never going to have it perfect anyway. Like, is this place perfect now? <laughs> so, but you're doing phenomenal things. Yeah. And so for somebody to wait until everything is perfect in order to move forward is a huge detriment to their mentality, to their stress level. I, to- I'll go on a spiritual plane. I think the devil wants you there. The devil wants sure. you distracted. The devil wants to convince you, right. That like, oh man, no one's going to want that. And the truth is, is maybe you don't sell me. But until you put it out into motion, you never know. That's right. Yeah, guys, take a stab at it. So let's talk about like the way I, as a company, make money, both the restoration side and the software side, is 
I go market and advertise and get clients. Uh, clients pay me for whatever it is that I'm providing for them. Uh, and then I use that money to pay my staff and my overhead and all the other things that go along with that. How does it work in an environment like Adaptive Training Foundation? I mean, look, it's not that dissimilar to a for-profit. I think, you know, at the end of the day, yes, we are uh, accruing and fundraising for, you know, tax donations, tax deductible, tax free donations. So there's a, I guess, a value proposition in that. Um, and yet you mentioned COVID and, you know, other things or a recession onward, you know, yeah, I mean, sure. there's factors that you go, listen, you know, don't expect that this person gave this year or this time, or you got this grant this time that that's going to be there in the future. So there's, maybe a little less forecasting on an annual basis, managing the books. And there's a little bit more in the diversification of some of those ways that money hits. So like I mentioned, there's individuals, there's corporate support, there's nonprofit partnerships, there's grants, and there's some other things. We can sell t-shirts, right? And uh, work with some unrelated business tax to make sure that that is a moneymaker for us as well. So I look at each one of those sectors, how they're performing, right? But knowing that, we can sort of work ahead and get a lot of those sponsorships sort of suited out. <laughs> Basically it's sort of zeroing out your budget to know that uh, you essentially want to record no earnings, right? Sure. Which is not dissimilar to how you would sure. in a profit yeah. company, weird right. how that works. It, you know, we have to be, we have to document like crazy because every dollar has to be tracked back. So if that's used for something like, you know, gym building overhead or payroll, um, that's obviously where we do audits every year. The number one thing in any business is don't skimp on the financial backing, the bookkeeping. You know, if it is the nature that your business is large enough to truly need a CFO, like, you know, don't just hire your boy or, <laughs> or hire your family member. Having the financials bulletproof is going to be the first thing that if you want to grow your business to the point of sale or to any significance, you got to have that. Sure. And again, finding allies and alliances have been really key for us. And so, you know, in business, it can be very cutthroat. In nonprofit, it can be even more cutthroat. Luckily, we live in the beautiful, great state of Texas. And in the ecosystem of North Texas, DFW, people play in the sandbox pretty well. You know, there's like, hey, they do. you know, hey, we're all serving veterans or we're all serving in this sector. You're like, what are you doing? Well, what are you doing? And, and well, that kind of overlaps. And how, how do we, you know, rising tides raise all boats. And so I think, you know, business models where you have people like uh, La Quinta and Denny's works pretty good to have yeah, a hand in glove, right? right? Together. You yeah. know, I'm, I know that you have found some different probably alliances, people that, you know, I don't really do that sector of the business. But if they want a white label under me, or if they want to just have a nice little handshake referral for some percentage givebacks, there's always a value proposition. And if there's somebody that's doing what you're doing and you know you can do it better, you know, come in boldly and say, here's what we'll do. Here's the two-year evaluation and the trend line increase. I want 10%. You know, be bold enough to do that. And find and there's different ways for us in the nonprofit. There's people that don't have a 501c3 that are that want to, you know, embed under us and raise money through our umbrella has to be within the scope of the mission statement, but we've never done that. It's not to say we couldn't do that, but there's other ways to help other people get afloat and, or be able to, you know, make sure there's a mission to the margins of what you're doing as well. And that's all in good business faith. And it's also in, in good practice because is a giver to a nonprofit I see as an investor. They're just investing differently. They're not going to get a dividend. They're going to want to see, okay, did my dollar, how, how far did it reach? Was one plus one, two? Well, it was one plus one, 10. And we're the type of person that wants to feel confident that it's 10 or more every time. Sure. So let's, ATF has done 
relatively well financially to be able to continue to support the mission. There have been some times where it's a little bit like, you know, especially around COVID, like what are we going to be able to do? How is this going to work? Yeah. Um, but one of the things we haven't said is that ATF is hundred percent free to everybody that comes in this facility. Yeah. So it's very unique in that primarily you um, are going out to raise money for the support of the mission here. Um, and the primary thing that takes place here is a nine week program. Yep. Um, so we fly athletes into the program. Um, if they're not local, we fly them in, we house them, we feed them. Yep. We provide trainers for them for the nine weeks that they're here yep. to work on both the physicality side of them, but that's not the real mission here. Right. What's the real mission? That's sneak therapy. They come thinking, Hey, they're going to get me out of this wheelchair walking again. They're going to get me integrated onto my prosthetic legs. And yeah, by all means we can do that. And, and time and discipline, that consistency changes the physical, but this part the between the ears is where we're giving them tools and installing new habits so that hopefully they can become a better total human being. Right. So we all, I think will agree that, you know, if somebody cuts us off in traffic, it's good to take a deep breath. Right. And not maybe do or say the thing that you wanted to um, and be able to respond differently. And that is great if it's a spouse that triggers you or a kid that does that thing or fill in the blank. It's life. Right. It provides the curriculum. So pre and post every one of their sessions during the nine weeks, their training sessions, they do breath work to learn about how they can use the breath to calm their nervous system choose differently. They do mindfulness exercises. Dare I even call them meditation? You know, by the end, these combat injured Marines, yeah, <laughs> meet them at the door like, hey, hippie, we're going to meditate. Oh, that ain't happening today. That's not happening. But if you say, hey, look, have you guys ever been conscious of your breath, you know, when you were behind the scope of a rifle, they're like, oh, yeah. Like, dude, you're really good at mindfulness. Like, I am? Like, yeah, that's, that's being really mindful. And now you just move it into a different sector. So the psychosocial environment that we create breeds this this change between trying to find the differences in people and instead aligning with the similarities. And maybe the similarity, like you could have a black and a white dude, right? One was a veteran, one was a civilian. One is an amputee, one's a spinal cord injury. One's gay, one's straight, one's... They could be on paper as drastically different as possible. And yes, they bleed the same color because they're human, but the sweat is where they earn and unify their relationship, right? They earn respect, they unify and galvanize. Man, like that person's putting out. And it's not the trauma Olympics, right? It's not like yeah, the, yeah, sure. the cop out is that guy has all his arms and legs. You know, he doesn't need it as much. Like, no, no, no. We try to find the person who's ready to take what we have to provide so that that way, again, if they're local, they continue to foster it for other people here and can be hired back as a trainer, which is really cool. But also those that go home, like they're now a you know light on a hill. They're now able to uh, reintegrate with their local community, affect you know, the real change for others like them and get people involved in, I don't care if it's a 5K, a Spartan race, adaptive CrossFit, you, you name it. So it's, it's instilling them. We run classes every nine weeks to your point. And the whole goal is after they've done the nine weeks, then we take them for a week long redeployment adaptive skiing, snowboarding, surfing, mountain climbing, whitewater rafting, fly fishing, you name it. But those are cool sports and recreational opportunities. So now they can look at, Gosh, I, I can't regrow my legs, but I kind of love sled hockey. I found this thing and pretty soon they're on the star sled hockey team. And pretty soon maybe they're in the Paralympics one day. Yeah. And none of that could have happened without this terrible tragedy and, you know, being trapped in a vehicle and almost burning to death and losing my legs. Then you come out of it and it's like, wow, maybe that was the exact thing that set me up because I was never supposed to be normal. Normal's a setting on the dryer. It's not a very good compliment. Yeah. It's not great. Mm -mm. And so I think you make that, that mention, I think it's high. 
And I'm like, dude, so Amazing. double below the knee amputee, yeah. uh, Paralympic gold medalist in snowboard cross. Mm-hmm. The guy crashed in, burned into a skydiving deal. Uh, you know, scorpions has, when I talked with him in the hospital, it was because a friend said, Hey, look, this guy is talking actively about suicide. And the second he gets out of this hospital, we're all really worried. And you fast forward and yeah, I don't know what I said on that call, but maybe it was disruptive enough that he liked it. It's amazing when you just kind of walk up to somebody seemingly in pain and go, tell me the story. Because once they start to tell it, I think they begin to free themselves of it. Or at least you can see where they're attached emotionally to it. You can be a little bit curious, ask a little further. Then eventually it comes to the moment where you go, okay, I understand what has what has occurred. But that now leads us to what is happening. Like, what are you doing with it, about it, you know I mean, for it? And Ty was one that quickly, when he came in here and trained, you could tell he was an amazing athlete. Got on the ice with Marty Turco. Clint yeah. teed it up with a Stars legend for him to go skate. Hadn't skated in... Yeah, I mean, much less without legs. Look, skated better than I could have. Um, Goes on to, yeah, win gold and bronze in the last Paralympics. And he jumps out of planes, does the the flight squirrel suit thing or bird suit thing. He, you know, he lives on a sailboat. He surfs way better than I can. I mean, it's humbling because we'll say things in here like, I'll try to show an athlete that doesn't have legs how to do something. I'll be like, God, it's really hard with legs. And they'll be like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry about your oh, two-leg yeah. able-bodied ass. Yeah. Oh, your toe hurts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thanks. I wish I had toes. But that's those are the people I want to be around. You know, it's like and that's part of what I hope people hear in all of this is that passion. That's your client. That's your staff. You're serving them yeah. with a legit passion yeah. to help them. Yeah. And want to see them. I think that weighs heavy on the success of what's taking place here. Because the reality is just like you got a text message this week or last week, I guess this is Monday Yeah, last week that I tell people all the time. This is the most addicting place I've ever been. <laughs> Guy comes in, been trying to have some conversation with him, gives a pretty decent amount of money uh, to support the mission and then comes in and gets hooked. And now he's like, Oh my God. And I wish I could have that passion inside my staff yeah. to have that same feeling and same culture around everything. So that if somebody ran into any of the companies that I'm dealing with, yeah. that they would be go, Oh my God, this is a place that like, yeah. these are amazing. Yeah. Um, and so we try to do that. Like I try to care for my staff the same way you do. I don't do it as well. Yeah. Um, but I think here's one thing to note though, about you and the way that you do things. It's like, you know, one knows about this, but last Friday night, we had a thing for first responders here at the gym that we opened up the gym space that you orchestrated. Cause we've, it's been a lot of difficulty in the mental health sector with our first responders here right. in DFW and everywhere. And, you know, I, I brought it to you as passion to like, look, we do what we do, but I can't turn a blind eye to some of this. So I think going back to how do you get your, your, your staff, your employees to buy into the larger why? Well, Mr. Restore is a huge supporter of us, but also like the stair climb, the, the 9-11 stair climb that we do every year. Like Mr. Restore is huge backer in that. The reason I'm saying that is like when you fly the flag and you participate in all the things that you say are important to the company and you're really there and your kids are there and your wife is there and all that, they see that and feel that. One, I think if nothing else, it establishes some goodwill that he is who he says he is. But also I think it gives them an understanding that like you can show up and punch the clock, you can do your job and execute. But like, I'm looking for those people that want to be a part of the movement 
And, Absolutely. and the movement Absolutely. is, it calls to more of you than just the, I did my job today. Sure. And hopefully that gives them a way to hit the pillow feeling like they're part of something that is also moving the needle outside of a PNL. Sure. I want to be cognizant of your time. So we're close to that time. There's two things I want to ask you. Uh, the first one thing is still, what is something that you wish you knew when you started what you were doing here? I think I wish that I knew, I wish that I trusted that God is going to orchestrate the timing that I don't have to question whether I'm doing it right or doing it the best way possible. I think just knowing that you're human and that like the big, I mean, I'll give a perfect example so I can build it back into a story. So my first time meeting Howard Schultz, Starbucks, CEO, president, chairman, you know, billionaire. Uh, my wife and I had flown to Seattle and I had a $2 million ask. It was perfect. He would have been an idiot to say no, right? Like, I just know we're, we're leaving Starbucks HQ and Howard Schultz's office with 2 million bucks. I did not get to make that ask. And in leaving the building, my wife could tell I was kind of upset, right? Visually like, what, you okay? I'm like, no, I'm pissed. I, I'm not. And she looked at me and she said, I just have a feeling that God's going to make this so much more important than what that $2 million would have done. And in my time, I'm like, well, I could think of a lot of things that $2 million could <laughs> yeah, have done. Can like, it do? <laughs> and you fast forward, he does this little six minute upstanders. If, if anyone's watching this, you can search upstanders, a warrior's workout. And you'll come up with a six minute piece that that piece got, you know, hundred million views in like a week. Obama flew myself and the Marine featured in that to the white house, met with the secretary of the VA, met with Obama, you know, you go on Ellen show, president Bush comes to the gym. Like all of this happens in like four or five months. And then I was getting hired to speak at JP Morgan and Boeing at American airlines, all these. And all I was doing was proudly stating and passionately sharing the work that we were doing and the effect it was having. And pretty soon corporate, Hey, what do you guys need? Oh, I need a three-year sponsorship and X, Y, and Z. I need airline miles for this. I need... So the knowing that early on, I felt like, Hey, look, I, I just know that this is going to work and that this is going to work right now. The timing of it's not up to you. Trust that you're going to absolutely step and move toward whatever it is that you feel called to, but be okay with some of those seeds being planted, knowing that, they're going to orchestrate maybe in 10 years, maybe in five years, but they're going to, the fruits of those labors are going to show up. If your intention behind them was for the fruits of your work to be known. I have a, a, a straight up truth. If it's about David, it is self-serving. If it's about my agenda, even if the intention is to help other people, but I'm so hell bent on winning to get this done it's never, it never is worth it to me. It never feels like the win that I wanted. And I realized that it's like, that's when my ego comes in. Sure. And I, I found that if I can just trust that it's like, man, this is going to happen, whether or not I ever get to see it. It's like driving a boat and you're trying to look at the wake. It's like cool to get a flash of it from time to time, but if not, you're going to run into the freaking shore or run into sure. something. Sure. So it's not about looking back to see all that you've accomplished. It's just trusting like, man, those seeds, that stuff, it's back there in the water and it's going to pop up exactly when it's supposed to. In that statement, none of us are perfect, <laughs> but you've been insanely authentic through all of them, man, which, which is great, man. And, and like, there's always struggles, right? Like yeah. I know some struggles that, and we all have them, but like, amazing how you've carried yourself through these last 10 years, this last decade of doing this. Uh, I think I've been around for almost eight of those now. Yeah, um, and it's amazing to watch what you've accomplished. Right. Thanks. Um, what, what do you think 
is the single best thing that you've, or best decision you've made? Let's look at it that way. What's the single best decision you've made in the operation starting, yep. continuing, whatever yep. you want to look at from Adaptive Training Foundation? Yeah. So being in Texas early on, and it was mostly veterans. Now it's about two thirds veterans, first responders, but people would tell me just make it only veterans, only vets, only vets, only vets. You'll get way more funding. It's way less confusing. It's this, but I'll remember the key moment when Vanessa Cantu, my first ever civilian, my first ever female and spinal cord injured athlete, her and one of the Marines in the earliest days, they were exchanging numbers to like get together to cook out on the weekend. And this Navy SEAL that where the place was at his, at his shop, he like elbowed me hard. He was like, you see that? So what am I supposed to be seeing? He goes, them changing numbers. That is as critical and as important to anything that you could possibly do inside these gym walls like bridging the gap. Cause what he said next was perfect. Did any veterans that are listening, hear this, you know, a veteran can be geographically home stateside, but they're not all the way home until they have a tribe, a community and a new ridgeline. And hopefully that purpose, the ridgeline, the calling isn't just around veterans, you know, because I think you can silo and you can kind of get lost in focusing on the problems, right. Rather than, than what's working. I believe that early on going against that, like on paper, on business, it made total sense, especially in the early days before inclusion was even sexy before, you know, when, when there was a lot more guys getting hurt on the ground in war. And I just knew, I just knew down in my gut that it wasn't the way to do it. That We needed to bridge that veteran civilian gap by, by, by inclusion and by bringing those people together. So I think that was big. And, and knowing that uh, my kids growing up around this, they just walk up to anybody and ask them of their story. Like that's the magic for me. I mean, my kids have seen compassion enacted. It's, it's an action. Compassion is a verb in my, in my opinion. It's something that is about meeting people where they are holding space for them, not as a victim, but allowing them to be loved for exactly the mess that they're in. That's a principle, man. That's something that is like, my parents taught me that it's something that if I do it well, then the work takes care of itself. It's being with those people and, and connecting with them on a plane where they thought they'd lost something and then realizing like, man, they, they still have it in there and they can rediscover it. And in fact, now they rediscover it with the understanding that their gifts match somebody else's needs. That's when they become this, you know, this new human being and pretty powerful to see. Yeah, for sure. And, and there's just like, there's so much that can go into the story. I mean, I'm thinking of when you're training Vanessa, mm-hmm. there were some opportunities that popped up. Mm-hmm that you said mm-hmm. no. And, and honestly, like the majority of guys listening to this story would have wanted that opportunity. Yeah. I don't know how much you can talk about on any of that necessarily, but. Yeah. I mean, look, it, there's been times where there was opportunity to go back to football. There's been times where there was opportunity to go out to Hollywood and do some stuff. I think doors were both opened and closed and timing that was discernment because God had me doing what I was supposed to be doing. I mean, you know, I'm blessed to not take a paycheck inside of this ecosystem. You know, the opportunity to go and speak and tell the story and do so is a way for me to provision for myself and my family. But knowing that actually the times when I sit in a quiet gym when no one's here and I can sit and I can close my eyes or just look around. And it's almost like this, like, you know, the old dream thing where like you see little like memories come to life and memories come to life. And I'll sit here and like legit ball my eyes out in the gym. I get goosebumps right now. Just thinking about it. Because 
it's so often that, yeah, there's something flashy in front of you. And there's something that is, but you have to ask yourself, is this me, me moving toward where I'm supposed to move? Or is this me moving away from something that I just am done with? I'm not saying one's right or wrong. Right. In my opinion, when I've been trying to escape from something, whatever over here that's trying to keep it, it doesn't work out. When I go, nah, man, this is no longer it. I'm going to turn 180 and move toward this other thing. It's that eye looking back thing that gets you in trouble. So sure. I would say don't chase something if other things get hard. I mean, you know this. Like, yeah. I had opportunities to go and coach, you know, and, and although there's part of me that, that questions if I'll ever, you know, go in, and coach at a high level, I feel like it's always been clear that that would have been a, an escape for me to go to something that was familiar when work on this side got hard. Sure. So I'm really happy that I have stuck it up. Yeah. And sometimes the grass, although it may look greener, isn't really greener. And and I, I think that's a nugget that somebody can take too. It's like, wait a minute. So you had opportunities to go do high dollar value things, Mm -hmm. high publicity, high Mm -hmm. notoriety type things and said, no, hold on. Yeah. Like I'm supposed to be here serving this community. And sometimes this is thinkless. Sometimes it's, you're a psychologist, you're a pastor, yeah. <laughs> you're a dad, you know, you're a guru. And that also is a place that like emotionally, you said this to me this morning, and I'm going to steal, I'm going to mess the quote up now, but it was basically like the version of how I need to boss. What was the line that you gave me this morning? Uh, I don't know that I can repeat it because it wasn't a real quote, right? But you were basically basically like the way that you are a boss to certain people. Like for me, I'm very much on that friend level with a lot of those. So, so that's a, sometimes you need to be able to be their boss. And there's a gray kind of mix of that where again, I can always love you and I will be your friend. This is not personal, but at some point, like here's your line in the sand, this is black and white. Yeah. And I think that's something that for me, I'm always tiptoeing the line and looking for trusted, you know, people at an executive level where they can take the message down the stream and I don't have to be the hammer all the time. Well, and to, to that point, like it just triggered in my head, like sometimes your biggest asset can also be your biggest detriment. And in some level, your personality engagement, love, like you love hard, yep. right. Can create problems for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you love hard and then you get shit on at some level or you love hard and it's hard to manage someone the right direction. And that's, yep. but you just, you keep being authentic and you still do it. And I love, it. Yep. and like, I love being around you. I love what you're doing. I love your family. I love what God has created with you here. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be part of it. And I'm grateful for you being on this with us. Yeah, man. Um, everybody, this is David Bora with um, the Adaptive Training Foundation here in DFW. Really happy to have you on here, man. And we'll wrap it up. Appreciate you, man. Thanks. This has been a Business Aspirin, pain relief for business podcast. If you're a business owner trying to overcome your business pains, follow us on Apple Podcasts or visit our website for more information, job-docs.com.